0: 10,000 sunsets from 10,000 mornings 10,000 chances to live the right way But I would pray all of my 10,000 sunsets I could be like a Jesus for one single day I'd walk on the water and heal the sick children Feed all the hungry, give sight to the blind I turn all the cannons and guns into flowers Turn all the whiskey to sacrament wine That's what I do That's what I do Ten thousand rainbows ten thousand midnights Ten million stars is shining above But I would trade off of my ten thousand rainbows If I could be like Jesus and give all my love I'd remind the people that hate is an evil thing Laugh at the children and tell them a tale
1: Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. Since April, on this show, I have been showing the historical evidence of how big business established religious right Christian mass media, starting in 1940, to help big business and the wealth class defeat FDR's New Deal and its worker provisions and safety regulations social security and veterans' pensions and the like, to garner a political majority to support an elite class by duping the Christian community with a new gospel that had the language of Christianity but put Christ's values and teachings on its ear, and in effect promoted the wealth-class values of the Pharisees whom Christ opposed, being the enemies of the Jewish common folk at the time like the Christian Pharisaic antecedents since then. Our historical narrative and evidence covered the focus of big business, in particular big oil, and their originating role in establishing what was coined as Christian libertarianism, or wealth class values with a Christian veneer, with the application of untold millions of dollars through new mass media channels and other connections and its second generation that espoused overtly pro-Nazi and fascist ideologies amongst its most prominent Christian media figures in the 1950s and 60s, as the era closed with the death of Christianity Today founder and white supremacy movement investor Sunoco Chief J. Howard Poo Jr. in 1971. In the next volume of my book series documenting this evidence called Two Masters and Two Gospels, I will document how one of the largest and most powerful religious cults in the world took over funding and influence on the top evangelical parachurch organizations in America, and the largest, now richest, and most influential Christian university in America. In Volume 3, we will take a weirder turn in showing how America's best-known evangelist and his mega-organization, sought the services of one America's premier paranormal and esoteric occult experts and his historic organization. However, in this report, we will review selections of the last comments from my cited chapter from my book, from Volume 1, with the data covered so far, uh, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, that considers the impact of this legacy of wealth class underwriting and promoting by religious right mass media, which is how those outside their community know them, and has had on the spiritual views of modern-day Americans, and particularly its younger class, and the mentality of the beatings will continue until morale improves attitude in response to the societal crisis within the ranks of evangelicals and church denominations. As a person of historical faith and agendas myself, I use spiritual arguments to bolster my assertions in this section of my book, which might not be pertinent to many listeners or viewers of this report, therefore I will selectively edit such arguments here, although I ask the spiritual skeptic to still be patient here and look for sociological insight as I air some concluding summary arguments and internal dirty laundry of spiritual hypocrisy and crisis within what up to now had been my own religious community and ranks. I now proceed with selections of concluding observations and arguments from the end of the chapter on this topic in my book. Given the cynical Faustian bargain, the various elements of the religious right, including mainline Protestant, Catholic, and even Jewish elements, along with Christian evangelicals, have made since the early 20th century with big business and their agenda of unregulated and unimpeded capitalism and free markets, it is not surprising that members of the younger generation, even as their forebearers in the early earlier 60s who trod before them, who the religious establishment standard bearer Billy Graham had labeled as communist, quote, giving aid and comfort to the enemy, unquote, for opposing the Vietnam War and supporting civil rights, thus cementing what we know as the generation gap. So they, these young people don't feel compelled to feed the beast with their income to promote the big business, anti-public assistance positions of their parents' religious institutions. In November 2016, the New York Times reported that, although religious institutions are still the largest recipients of charity donations receiving 32 percent, or 119.3 billion of the giving of Americans in 2015, that is down from about 50 percent since 1990, and has been, quote, and steadily declined for some time, unquote. They do note that from, ironically, the Pew Research Center in 2014, 23 percent of Americans say they are not affiliated with any religion. Now that's 2014, a lot more has changed since then, up from 16% in 2007. One sided religious leader said that young people now give in, expressing their commitment to core values and their obligation to sustain those in need. And as such, giving to religious institutions is not automatic. A spokesman for the National Council of Churches stated that, quote, in the past, there was a general sense that the church was a trustworthy institution, unquote, and that even if people disagreed with the positions of their church institutions on issues such as civil rights, they would say that, well, quote, this is my church and this benefits the community even if I disagree with its stand on civil rights. Well, now, when they disagree strongly, they tend to donate to other venues of service. They also note that giving has not declined within the Islamic church because, quote, it is in essence of being Muslim. And, quote, they want to change the narrative concerning a religion that has been defined by outsiders solely in terms of terrorism. Well, I am glad that at least one religion in America recognizes that what they invest in and the values they demonstrate to society by their investments reveals the inner nature of their faith in God. And know that it might be effective in recruiting new converts. However, the trend in the younger adherents and diverting donations away from their religious establishments that violate their principles even extends to the Mormon church. How long will the American church rely on this association with big business in other institutions of establishment power and authority in this society and continue to eat their seed corn and see more and more of the next generation leave in disgust because of their own conscience and commitment to being their brother's keeper in terms of social progress and as keepers of the garden in terms of sustainability and environmental protection. And thus, these churches rely on dwindling, landed gentry of the older generation, many of whom are already fiercely reliant on the social programs of Social Security and Medicare, and the few churches who may keep their doors open with the trust from a few wealthy benefactors. Whatever the scenario, I am certain that they will blame their demise on everyone around them, including those lazy socialist kids or other leftists, the gay community, or the enemy du jour, rather than see the source of their demise in their nearby mirror and in their ability to look so unlike Jesus. Regarding the waning societal influence and political clout of the religious right, and the inevitable jilting of their interests by the amoral, self-absorbed agenda of Wall Street, who will seek new mistresses with unspent dowries, the religious right figureheads nevertheless will continue for some time to cling devotedly to the fond memories and interests of their capitalistic lovers. Singing its praises as if it will return to again sweep them off their feet. As one example, Joseph Farah and WorldNet Daily, a model example of a religious right party organ and propaganda tool, recently earned yet another Creative Writing Award for exhibiting the audacity of declaring that the suffering of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus was due to excessive government interference taxation, and even lax immigration policies. All classic tropes of capitalistic talking points to further promote the interest of for-profit big businesses unregulated by the public sector as to its predatory practices or its exploitation of labor and natural resources as the real savior of an ever-privatizing society. He also shows how well he has embraced and embodied the original principles of Reverend Fifield, his spiritual mobilization and National Association of Manufacturers, who bankrolled their creation. In december twenty eighteen, he writes that's uh the gentleman we're talking about, Joseph Farah. He writes Joseph or Jesus, Joseph and Mary were no more refugees in Israel than those who have been illegally crossing the southern U.S. border for far too long. But think about what prompted their journey from Nazareth. It was a tax imposed by Roman authorities. In other words, those responsible for making this pregnant young woman take the long march to Bethlehem were like other tyrants of the past, people who wanted to live in a borderless world, with them in charge. Notice how many times the subject of taxes comes up in that first section of the Christmas stories. They had to file the equivalent of their 1040 form. It ought ought to be referred to as the Long March to Bethlehem because of its familiarity with the forced population movements of so many modern-day tyrannies. All leftists, all progressive, all globalists, and all border haters. Jesus' birth was marked by the First World tax. This was a government operation all the way. Joseph and Mary were not homeless, as some of the modern big government shakedown artists suggest. Government is not your friend. It is the enemy of freedom. Government is not Santa Claus. It is the Grinch. Government is not your servant. It tends all too often to be our master. Government seldom helps people. It often enslaves them. Even back then, 2,000 years ago, government was often heartless and cruel. That's why the only kind of government the left hates is that which is limited, that which is accountable, and that which has borders, uh, that which is the new dirty world word, nationalist. In the meantime, the only king we want is Jesus. It is true that within the pages of the Bible, now that, by the way, that was again, Joseph Fair of WorldNetDaily Daily in 2018. It is true that within the pages of the Bible, it often illustrates documents and warns of kingdom leaders that become tyrants, governments that become tyrannical, and even citizenry that comes to actually love subjugation to such autocratic leaders, and their pride when witnessing the conquest of their sovereign will over their neighbors. They thus claim for themselves a license for clannish pride, lack of compassion for the welfare of their neighbors, and personal greed for unregulated or uh, restrained economic exploitation of their vanquished neighbors, or even their own communities or populace, amongst those disadvantaged by poverty or lack of societal clout. The Bible also warns the leaders of Gentile nations that they will be judged by the morality they already know in their hearts and communally, even if it's not constrained by the 613 ordinances of the Mosaic Code, and in particular their accommodation, if not outright encouragement, of economic exploitation in the scales of the marketplace, or otherwise amongst the poor, widows, and strangers who do not find justice in the courts and the greed that does not allow the excess blessings of abundance to be shared liberally with those less fortunate. The rub, I believe, is that while in the golden de- olden days of yore, one could argue that such autocratic rulers, king, emperor, or despot, would be held accountable by God in the last day, if not before. In these modern days of self-government, however, the citizenry, that means you and me, will be held accountable by God on these matters, based upon who we select to administer the kingdom as our proxies. That means that we cannot simply slough off our responsibility to our neighbors, or to being our brother's keeper, when the crown of government falls collectively on all our brows as a shared duty of responsibility. Declaring government is merely evil, and indeed the era of all earthly governments will pass one day is not only to shirk our God-given responsibility to assist in the governing process as self-governing citizens, both a blessing and a responsibility given to us by God in our generation and locale, but also to fail to rightfully exploit the government to provide blessings to its citizens within the jurisdictions God has established for it, and to be salt and light to encourage its noblest practice and reflect a generous and merciful society by example, and to hold it accountable in its duties to the vulnerable as God has assigned it. The conservative Western libertarian Christian has in essence turned over the keys of societal governing, in effect, to the great city Babylon, as described in the Bible, operated by the tight fist of the great merchants of the earth, who regulate society themselves, by their sculpting of the marketplace, labor environments, and redistributing of the world's wealth from the common folk to the ever-growing vaults of the ultra-rich. Check out Revelation 18 if you want to learn more. The contempt for earthly governance, as exhibited by Joseph Fair in the example just shown, and by most conservative Christians today, as groomed by their handlers or pied pipers in talk radio and cable news, and in preference for Wall Street and Madison Avenue in taking the dominant role in fashioning our nation, society, and communities, in essence shows the cynicism for Master Christ and the governments whom he told his followers to pay taxes to and to render to while in this world as pilgrims. This mindset reminds oneself of the servant given one talent, which themselves are much like the resources we are given to bless society, both individually and in collective actions through our church fellowships, and even the government who is estab- has been established by God to govern in this age. In the gospel parable of the talents, you might remember that. While this parable can be applied to show a number of scenarios in this life and in the kingdom of heaven, I believe its principles also apply in general to how we invest the resources God has given us to do his work in society as a reflection of what we think about him. The servant who took his one talent and buried it, rather than investing it, justified his acts to the master by the servant's perception of him, in telling him, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. That comes from Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25. Now, this view of God as the Old Testament fire-on-the-mountain, fierce, transcendent, wizard of Oz type that cultivates a sinners-in-the-hands-of-an-angry-God reputation, as our religious right hero, such as the famous Reformed Calvinist Puritan preacher and slaveholder Jonathan Edwards would suggest, leads one to not only think that God will be unreasonable, in assessing our good works done by ourselves and our local fellowships, but also our duties as citizens through the institutions of self-government he has established for us. Rather than focusing their zeal toward merely rooting out corruption within earthly government and holding it accountable with the tools before us, exposing it through the mass media now available to us, and promoting transparency in ethical government policies— and administrators on our behalf. They rather hold in total contempt the entire biblical institution of earthly government God has instituted over us, and any efforts by it, righteous or otherwise, to promote justice as its biblical mandate, including economic justice and restraining the economic exploitation of those vulnerable to such. As God instituted His own designed government in ancient Israel, and what he says he will judge other Gentile governments about. This fear exhibited by the unfaithful servant is a common paranoia of distrust, not only in and about any specific government in general, and not confined to specific unethical leaders, but for the entire institution itself, and thus the God who established it. Now, we're going to take a break from our narrative from my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News, which is available in print and ebook form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other retailers. And I encourage you to obtain a copy and study it to see if it inspires you to change your attitudes, whether currently religious or not, and to motivate you to action based upon the universal, timeless values that are not so universal in America today. When we return for our next report, we will conclude with further insights on modern American society and the cruel, miserly view of its religious right in an unflattering perspective based on Christ's parable of the servants entrusted with various talent resources. However, our next segment will be our normal mid-show contemporary intelligence briefings. We will finish with some further insights on the actor portraying supposed anti-child trafficking stalwart Tim Ballard in the current movie Sound of Freedom, the actor being Jim Caviezel, and his own eccentric and disturbing views, and some other foundational reports so we can proceed further with a flurry of events occurring this summer that has led to a crisis with Mr. Ballard and his old operation. Before that, however, it's time for some music for meditation. It's easy for these Christian mass media celebrities, who, who began to be known as televangelists in their heyday, with the advent of cable TV around the start of the 1980s, to sell this pro-wealth class message, evolving into the Pentecostal wealth and prosperity and name-it-and-claim-it spiritual teachings that eerily echoed those of the Pharisees of old, which led to the ostentatious, blatant displays of wealth obsession at the expense of the widow's mites donated by fixed-income retirees in the homebound, for which Jim and Tammy Baker at their PTL organization and peers like Jimmy Swaggart and Kenneth Copeland were known for. I actually went to PTL's Heritage Village, the Disneyland for Christians, with its gaudy displays of opulence and timeshare condominiums that my friend's pastor father had bought, which turned out to be no more than a pyramid Ponzi scheme, coming apart in 1987 with tales of sexual assault and two sets of tax books being kept and even air-conditioned dog houses. Jerry Falwell and others came in to purportedly save the ministry, but were accused later of picking it apart for their own benefit. Now back in 1969, a song exploded on the country music scene that scandalously suggested the hypocritic behaviors of community, school, and society leaders with the controversial blockbuster song, Harper Valley PTA. Well, Tammy Faye Baker used this recognizable tune of that song to tell the story of their exploitation by Falwell and his ilk in a little-known legendary song. Think about the wealth and capitalistic, competition-based values of our famous religious leaders when you hear The Ballad of Jim and Tammy. And then we'll be back to the Two Spies Report.
2: Now Jerry Falwell came with Bretman to Jim's home in California one fine day. They said, beware, Jim and Tammy, of a plan Jimmy swaggers is to play. We want to let you know the plot and tell you we are here to help in any way. We want to help you, Jim and Tammy. Help you save your heritage, USA. Well, we will never touch your ministry. We promised was the line they gave to me. You will always be in charge of everything we put on your TV. Now you just rest and trust in us and leave your network and your show in our hands. Said, I'll give it back when we reveal the Jimmy Swagger takeover plan. Now they flew back to North Carolina in a hurry in Bowell's private jet, and at once began their deeds that the people will never forget. Well, they changed the board that very day, and our whole team, and fired everyone with power. And Fowell, Nims, and Grotman were on TV before the press within the very hour. Talk to the staff at PTL and convince them Jim and Tammy had done wrong. They said support Jerry Fowell and his team if you want to keep your job. They held an auction in the barn in sold from the grand they said were gold. They even sold Max's doghouse, leaving three little dogs out in the cold. We watched them tear apart the park and sell the assets of the ministry at a loss. Saw them file bankruptcy, go to court, and kick Kevin out of his house. They told lies about Jim Baker, tried to ruin him and his life in every way. Let's then follow back to Lynchburg and rebuild our Heritage USA. Let's then follow back to Lynchburg, help the people rebuild Heritage USA.
1: Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. Since this last August, believe it or not, we have been focusing our contemporary case file reports on Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad, the popular tip of the spear in the anti child human trafficking fad, which has enraptured American religious rights citizens and their allies in the MAGA and QAnon cult movements, culminating in the blockbuster film Sound of Freedom. And sensationalized account of Tim Ballard and his Operation Underground Railroad, purported anti child trafficking, uh, private vigilante crime busting group. We have covered the murky situations of the financial flows of the tens of millions of dollars per year of donations percolating through the ostensible nonprofit and into their many personal profit making ventures, the low standards of their participants who buy their way into the illegal raids, their association with Mormon groups that suppress reports of child sexual abuse within their own ranks, and the cunning master plan exposed to exploit the visceral repulsion of the public to child trafficking into insanely profitable personal wealth, as well as their exposed plans to recruit donors to join into their Mormon faith. We have a few stories, a few years old, remaining to mention that set the table for the rapid exposure and then collapse of Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad this very summer of 2023, even though their misdeeds and hidden agenda were exposed by Vice and other outfits and subsequently ignored several years ago. The first pertains to a previous famous person seduced into Mormonism although most are raised into the faith within their cloistered communities by their tight-knit families, although they do have aggressive, mandatory evangelistic and missionary efforts that pull in many on the fringes seeking a nurturing, spiritual, and well-structured environment with the ultimate and enforced family values, and who are not burdened by due diligence, fact-checking, logic, or seeking a firm historical and logical foundation for their well defined leap of faith. Talk radio powerhouse Glenn Beck, having lived a life of substance abuse and self destruction, sought, according to what I heard him say in an interview, a religious faith as an adult, with the primary goal being a good, secure environment that was family friendly. He mentioned nothing of it needing to meet the highest standards of fact-based truth and consistency or rationality along its bounded elements of faith. Once one is aware of his association and its influence on him, and then on his devout audience, it becomes apparent to those discerning, such as his prior influential claims of the American Constitution hanging by a thread requiring one on a white horse to come rescue it, which is none other than the white horse prophecy of one of the old Mormon prophets. Like Tom Cruise and other stars of Scientology, Beck has used his celebrity, mass media mouthpiece, and massive finances to bankroll many Mormon-affiliated enterprises, often not disclosed as such, and groomed listeners with an American-centric Mormon mindset or worldview and even cosmology, although once he made his faithful decision to choose a religion, it would be expected that he promoted this eccentric faith with much sincerity and devotion, although many might consider it misguided, and he even being exploited. I state many mainstream evangelicals have placed on their own celebrities within over the years, and other groups like the Nation of Islam had with Muhammad Ali or Malcolm X, in addition to the Scientologists. It should be no surprise that Beck would have become affiliated with Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad in its early days, being aware of its Mormon connections as an insider early on, and a potential sugar daddy for it. The Old Deseret News, the newspaper organ of the Mormon Church, published the following article on November 27, 2017, about Glenn Beck forming a new organization and partnership with Ballard, in condensed form. Quote, Timothy Ballard, founder of Operation Underground Railroad, and Glenn Beck, founder of Mercury One's The Nazarene Fund, announced a new partnership Monday with the goal to earn $25 million to save more slaves on a worldwide scale. It's horrifying what is happening. We know that we need to go global. We are announcing tonight that we save slaves all around the world, with special emphasis on the Middle East. In the next 12 months, we would like to raise $25 million, Beck said in a video posted on glennbeck.com. We're going to cut the heart out of darkness. We will change the world. As part of the announcement, Beck named Ballard as the new CEO of the Nazarene Fund, which seeks to liberate captive Christians and other religious minorities held in terrorist-controlled hostile regions in the Middle East and Africa. Ballard will also continue as CEO of our, OUR because their missions are similar, he said in an email to Deseret News. Many of our, these victims are trafficked for sex, labor, and organ harvesting. OUR focuses on sex, child sex trafficking throughout the rest of the world. Since the missions are different but similar enough, with plenty of overlap, Glenn Beck asked me to take over the Nazarene Fund, Ballard said in the email. The organizations will run as separate entities, but will work together and leverage each other's capabilities. As CEO of both, I can assure the alliance is solid. Now this is still continuing their text. Beck, a media personality and best-selling author, founded the nonprofit charity Mercury One in 2011. This organization established the Nazarene Fund in 2013 to give humanitarian aid and educational assistance to Christians in the Middle East. To date, the Nazarene Fund has raised more than $17.5 million and helped to rescue thousands, according to the thenazarenefund.org. Trafficking and terror are only growing throughout the world. Millions of captive men, women, and children need to be liberated. By expanding our mission to include running two separate organizations with similar but different missions and specialties, we will be able to rescue and restore more people, Ballard said. And that's always the first and last questions we ask ourselves. How can we rescue and restore more suffering people? This is the answer. In timing with the partnership announcement, our is selling, catch this, prints of a new painting by artist John McNaughton titled Underground Railroad. Now, John McNaughton is the one who paints pictures of Donald Trump along with the founding fathers together and and them stepping on liberals and things. Okay, they say the painting... Commissioned and designed by the Slave Stealer Foundation, that's um, uh, Ballard's group, depicts men and women, including Ballard and his wife, carrying rescued children along a railroad with historic abolitionists on one side, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and others, and modern abolitionists, such as entrepreneur and life coach Tony Robbins, this is in the painting, TV personality, Montel Williams, actor Ashton Kutcher, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, and representative Mia Love, amongst others. 100% of the proceeds will go to fight human trafficking and promote liberty, Ballard said. Last May, Beck and Ballard traveled to Thailand, the Deseret News reported. In addition to his work with Hour, Ballard is a best-selling author of several books related to American history. Now, Jim Caviezel, who played Ballard in the 2023 film Sound of Freedom, has been profiled on prior shows here as having been an inherent of extreme QAnon conspiracies. On October 27, 2021, the Daily Beast revealed his strange mentor in that subculture who happens to have big designs on our national elections, as the following excerpts from this published article reveal. Now, they note that Caviezel spoke at an October 2021 convention called the Patriot Double Down, with the article narrative proceeding to note, quote, The storm is upon us, Caviezel said, alluding to a QAnon slogan about an impending fascist uh, takeover led by Donald Trump. At the end of his speech, Caviezel embraced a man in a suede jacket and cowboy hat who was treated by the audience is just as much a star as Cavizo, A shadowy QAnon promoter who goes by the alias Juan O. Savin. The QAnon convention served as the coming out party for Savin, an enigmatic QAnon booster who has operated for years on the fringes of the movement, keeping his face a secret and masking his identity behind the Savin alias. Despite his hazy background, Savin is emerging as a new power on the conspiracy theory right. He has cultivated ties as a sort of QAnon guru to right-wing celebrities like Caviezel and Roseanne Barr while recruiting a growing slate of candidates running to control elections in battleground states in 2024. Much of Savin's power on the right derives from a classic QAnon source. Savin's supporters believe he's John F. Kennedy Jr. in disguise. During the convention, the Patriot Dribble Downs Master of Ceremonies posted a facial comparison of JFK Jr. in Savin on Facebook, writing, Could it be so? In a sign of how widespread the idea that JFK Jr. is alive uh, among QAnon believers, Savin wasn't even the only suspected JFK Jr. double on the speakers list. Savin's beliefs are bizarre even by QAnon standards. In his book, Savin writes that Washington, D.C. is laid out for Masonic devil worship, with the Washington Monument meant to resemble the missing penis of an Egyptian god and the State Department's Foggy Bottom chosen for its spells, rituals, and wizardry. He claims that Dr. Anthony Fauci is making satanic hand signals during his press conferences and that the world is run by a cabal descended from the biblical character Cain. Most importantly to his fans, he insists that the apocalyptic storm promised by QAnon is still coming, even in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Savin built his following through appearances and live streams with other QAnon promoters, including Field McConnell, a conspiracy theorist tied to a group accused of plotting to kidnap children. We've talked about him before but Savin was always uh, careful to conceal his face, often aiming the camera down at his cowboy boots. The Savin name is an alias that plays on the number 107. The Patriot Double Down was billed as Savin's first public appearance, and he arrived in rock star style in a red Aston Martin convertible. As Savin tried to leave the event, he was mobbed by so many fans that members of a QAnon militia had to move the crowd out of his way. Travis View, a host of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, calls Savin a fringe influencer, even within the QAnon community. It shows that the organizers were willing to pander to the fringe of the fringe, despite the fact that the event was attended by GOP state lawmakers and candidates, View told the Daily Beast. Savin's much-anticipated unmasking in Las Vegas was something of a misnomer. In fact, Savin had inadvertently revealed his face several times during live streams, briefly reversing the camera on his phone to reveal his face. Savin's many rivals within QAnon used those glimpses of his face to uncover what they see is his real identity, Wayne Willett, an insurance investigator in the Seattle area. A 2017 lawsuit filed against some conspiracy theories tied to Willett alleges that Willett adopted the identity W, the Intelligence Insider, who issued pronouncements about the state of the world in much the same way that Savin does now. In those radio appearances, W, the Intelligence Insider, sounds identical to Savin. Willett appears to have been involved in the fringe right-wing movements going back decades, with a 1997 article in the Conservative American Spectator mentioning Willett, a private investigator, involved in anti-Clinton hijinks in Arkansas. Despite his obscure origins, Salmon has managed to establish close ties with at least two conservative celebrities. In an October video with California Secretary of State candidate Rachel Hamm, he claimed he was traveling through Texas and Louisiana with Caviezel to raise money to promote Sound of Freedom, an upcoming movie in which Caviezel plays the founder, and of controversial anti-sex trafficking group Operation Underground Railroad. In Savin's tally, he was on a road trip with Caviezel to raise money for the film, comparing their journey to the one comedians John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd take in the Blues Brothers. We're driving across the country, Jim Caviezel and I, Blues Brothers, trying to get funding sorted out for the marketing side of the movie, Savin told Ham. The idea that a Hollywood celebrity would team up with Savin seemed unlikely, until Savin introduced Caviezel at the QAnon convention a few days later and sat on stage throughout the speech. Savin frequently makes videos with comedian Roseanne Barr, who blew up her successful sitcom in part by promoting QAnon on Twitter. In their lengthy live streams, the one-time star comedian listens uh, deferentially as Savin and Spools' conspiracy theories. I'm calling on you for sanity because you know we're all losing our minds, Barr told Savin in a video recorded the day after the January 6th riot. Savin's influence on the right goes beyond celebrities. He played a key role recruiting Secretary of State candidates, listen to this, across the country for 2022, according to Nevada Secretary of State, hopeful and former State Representative Jim Marchant. In a speech at the convention, Marchand claimed he had rented a suite at a luxury Las Vegas hotel to plot out how to contest his defeat in the 2020 congressional race, only to discover Savin at his door. Well, guess who shut up in my suite? Mark Marchand said to cheers from the audience. Blow you away! You saw him Saturday and you saw him today. One O seven, according to Marchand. Savin recruited him and several other Secretary of State candidates, including Ham, to run in 2022. While Ham is unlikely to win in heavily Democratic California, one of Savin's picks, Arizona State Representative Mark Fincham, has been endorsed by Donald Trump and is shaping up to be a strong primary contender. Marchand claimed that Savin's coalition held a meeting with MAGA luminaries like MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell, former Overstock.com CEO Patrick Byrne and the Gateway Pundit blogger Jim Hoft to plot out the Secretary of State bids. In his speech, Marchant made clear the goal of Savin's push for new candidates, controlling elections in 2024. I can't stress enough how important the Secretary of State offices are, Marchant said. I think they're the most important election in our country in 2022. And why is that? We control the election system. Now, Savin's name came up again at another panel at the convention with members of his Secretary of State, Slate, praising his claims that top members of the deep state will face justice in Guantanamo Bay military tribunals, a key QAnon tenet. Now, remember, Juan told us the other night that if we can't get justice through our courts, he has built another one. Remember, he said the, what the other night said Ham, he built one in Gitmo, he said. Our plan A C see Juan, Marchant said. Juan has been very good to us, Ham said. Okay, plans for tribunals in Guantanamo for people who resist. On June 10th, 2022, Vice reported that Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad, or OUR, yet again, after the many exaggerations and falsehoods documented on this show, Exaggerated or embellished events of high profile collaboration with their organization. Here, Vice reports that our alleges a supposed collaboration with American Airlines. In a video posted on Ballard's Instagram, in a tweet, and in a Facebook post on its official page, all of which were deleted after Motherboard asked for comment on the story. Our claim to be doing a collaboration with American Airlines this month, with the airline showing a video about its work. The minute-long video in question is less an anti-trafficking PSA than simply an ad for Our featuring an unusually red ballard sitting in a chair talking about the difficulty of rescuing children from sex traffickers, cut with archival video of someone supposedly negotiating with a trafficker over the price of a child. For the month of June, Hour has partnered with American Airlines to share our mission and spread information about human trafficking and exploitation. Hour wrote on Facebook on June 9th, tagging the airline. We are excited to announce that this video will play on all domestic American Airlines flights all month long, and we encourage viewers to join us in the fight against human trafficking. We are grateful for this collaboration with American Airlines, and look forward to the awareness that will come from this campaign. Now, in a statement to Motherboard, though, a spokesman for American flatly said that there was no such collaboration. Quote, Content from Operation Underground Railroad is not available on Americans in-flight entertainment, and we do not have any partnership or affiliation with the organization, they wrote. When asked if they'd ever had a partnership with our, one that was perhaps canceled after someone googled them, the spokesman said only quote, "It was never true. We do not have any partnership or affiliation with them, and the organization uh, and the content is not available on our in-flight entertainment." A spokesman for our told us that in fact, the organization bought an ad with a third-party service provider, Clearwind Media, which describes itself as a leader in in-flight TV and TV commercial advertising. In other words, it's an ad. But it also appears to be one that, in Americans' telling, never actually ran on their in-flight entertainment. Operation Underground Railroad, Hour entered a paid contractual arrangement with Clearwind Media. Hour said in a statement, where Hour understood the full service advertising agency would place a one minute hour video on its in flight program on American Airlines uh, during the entire month of may twenty twenty two. At no point did Clearwind Media inform Hour that their video did not air on the in flight program on American Airlines, and after learning this, Hour took down the video from online and social sites. Now, today's report reveals, yet again, that Ballard and Auer use their Mormon connections to exploit celebrities with high exposure and deep pockets, and some Hollywood weirdos with very disturbing QAnon influencers actually having impact on politicians and hijacking our sacred voting system for that was designed for surviving democracy to support their cultish conspiracies, as well as outright misrepresentations of reputable institutions regarding their alleged endorsement and support of Our. Now, this will conclude our historical, and by that I mean several years ago, reports of Ballard's and Our's misdeeds, which are little known by their supporters, if they even care. Beginning next week, we will focus on the momentous summer of 2023, the time of their greatest achievement, and when the chickens came home to roost. Before we resume our review of a historical section from my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, we need to take a break for more music for meditation. Now, I don't mean to pick on the Mormons, of whom I have good friends, and whom live largely trouble-free lives by and large, and I certainly spend most of my time railing against my own evangelical heritage. However, I have noticed over the years that their culture seems to be particularly adept at keeping secrets, which is why they were chosen to serve as Howard Hughes' bodyguards, evidently, and are popular choices for positions like in the Secret Service. They're also very good at promoting their family lifestyle and image in their deep investments in advertising, and Ballard qualifies on both of these accounts. Enjoy the following example, the song I'm a Mormon. And we'll be back for the Two Spies Report. friends like my old radio friend decades ago the man in drive used to say well i can see by the old clock on the wall that it says brother mike that's about all that's another edition of the two spies report i'm so sorry i didn't get the last few uh, statements i wanted to make from the last chapter of my book two masters and two gospels volume one and i also have to say that uh, I'm sorry if this last segment was a little preachy and with a good dose of religiosity, but uh, its chapter-ending punchline, which we will also conclude at the beginning of next week, was intended to be a forceful yet well-intended punchline for our many religious right neighbors who might be hearing or seeing this as a constructive rebuke. And with them being such a predominant segment of our community and many others in America— using their own language, values, religious figures, and even holy texts to confront them and hold them accountable, with a goal to maybe influence the thinking and contemplations of at least a few. For those of you not steeped in such thinking, I hope the data disclosed in the last few months of these reports may educate and then arm you to make constructive headway with your neighbors and family members steeped in religious right thinking for our mutual spiritual good. All these reports are intended to be preserved and archived on a YouTube channel very soon to permit you to go back and listen to these individual reports or forward them to others. Although not covered as comprehensively as by merely procuring my book and studying its contents upon which these reports were based. In our next edition, we will continue uh, with a review of uh, the last few pages of this chapter from my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, the teaching of Jesus versus the leaven of the Pharisees and talk radio and cable news, in which I encourage you to obtain in print or ebook form at either Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or other sites, to review this and far more expansive material on subject, to sharpen our spiritual discernment in these very mor- morally hazardous days we now find ourselves in. Again, that's two masters and two Gospels, Volume One, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News, by. Dr. J. Michael Bennett. Um, in, before the next week is over, uh, my plan is to continue also with a review of an entirely different, shorter chapter of other, but related subject matter uh, to this, what we've covered so far. Now, I will confess, and I hope this gets your attention, that this the following chapter we will begin will be far more salacious, enigmatic, and even downright weird, as it shows the offbeat, eccentric, and esoteric influences of religious right philosophical journals of the time that we've covered that set the foundations of modern American studies into the paranormal, drug culture, and what is now known as New Age spiritual views. Send any comments about the show or questions at twospiesreport at gmail.com, T-W-O-S-P-I-E-S, Report at gmail.com. This is for questions or comments for us to discuss on the air. Please make a note if it's not to be shared and broadcast. Please join us back here at 5 p.m. Central each Thursday at Radio Free Nashville, WRFN at 107.1 and 103.7 FM on the dial, or streaming live online at www.radiofreenashville.org. See you next Thursday at 5. Until then, keep exploring like the two spies. Assessing and staying positive, being willing to stand against the crowd. Good evening.
0: Walking down the road with the good book in my hand, telling all my friends about the promised land, of the joy to the find there, and the peace of mind. Telling all my